0: In the movie Left Behind, Chloe, who is a college student, is at the mall with her younger brother when all of a sudden, in a moment, in an instant, her younger brother and other people in the mall disappear, leaving behind only their clothes and their possessions. In a moment, they were gone. At the same time, her father, Rayford Steele, was on a plane headed to London. People all over the plane disappeared, passengers and even crew, is something like this going to happen? Well, here's what we need to understand. It really doesn't matter what Hollywood says about the end times. And it really doesn't matter what someone who claims to know the truth says about the end times. What matters is what the Bible, God's Word says. And so I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 17 and listen to the words of Jesus. Because if anyone was an authority on this issue, it would be Jesus. Listen to what he said, beginning in verse 26. He said, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night... Two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. Jesus said there's coming a day when one will be taken and one will be left behind. Paul talked about this when he wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica that he established. We read that story of Paul establishing that church in Acts 18. We, we don't know for sure how long Paul was there, but we do know that while he was there, he taught them the fundamentals, the essentials of the Christian faith. He taught them about salvation, about Jesus' birth, about Jesus' life, about Jesus' death. And obviously, he talked to them about Jesus' second coming. Because as he wrote the letter to 1 Thessalonians, it was obvious that the church there was confused on some issues. Now, now, we don't know if they were confused because of the persecution they were facing. We, we know that they were going through persecution because 1 Thessalonians 2 tells us. We don't know if they were confused because there were believers who have died and, and they had thought that, that every believer would be alive when Jesus came back. We don't know why they were confused, but we do know they were confused about the end and about the second coming of Jesus. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul addresses this subject to try to unconfuse their confused minds. And I want you to listen to what he said, beginning in verse 13. He said, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. What we're talking about is an event that we call the rapture. And so this morning, what I want to do is try to answer some questions about the rapture because I believe that perhaps this is one of the most confusing things for most believers today. What is the rapture? When does the rapture occur? How does it occur? Why does it occur? All these things, and we have questions about this, and I believe God wants to give us answers. And so I want to answer those questions this morning. First of all, I want to answer the question, "What is the rapture?" And the reason we answer that question is because there is a lot of confusion about the rapture. Let me tell you a true story. And when I say a true story, I'm not talking about a preacher- true story. it's a True story, it occurred in Arkansas. There was a Little Rock, Arkansas woman who was involved in an accident. She got injured along with 13 other people in a 20-car pileup. The reason for the accident was this woman thought the rapture was occurring. And she opened up her sunroof, climbed out, fell on the road causing this pileup, Thirteen other people were injured. Now what she saw was this. She saw what she thought was twelve people floating into the air. And as she saw what she thought was twelve people floating into the air, she passed a man dressed in a robe that looked like Jesus with his hands up in the air. This is what her husband said. His name is Everett Williams. He said she started screaming, he's back, he's back. And she climbed on the sunroof and jumped out on the roof of the car. He said, I was slowing down, but she wouldn't wait for me to stop. She was convinced that Jesus was going to lift her in the air. Now, the first officer on the scene, his name was Paul Madison. And this is what he said. He said, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen since I've been on the force. Madison questioned this guy who, who he described as looking like Jesus. And he discovered that he was on his way to a costume party. He was dressed in a toga, a long robe. He had a beard, long hair. When he was driving his pickup truck that had a tarp on it, the tarp came loose. In the back of his pickup truck were 12 dolls, blow-up dolls, that were filled with helium. When the tarp came off the back of the truck, the dolls went up into the air. Paul Madison stopped his truck, put off the side of the road, and he was looking as his dolls went up in the air, and he was going like this right here. And this woman, George Ann Williams, thought that the rapture was occurring. And she wanted to make sure that, that her son, wasn't going to keep her from participating, and so before her husband could open the, to stop the car, she could get out. She opened that sunroof and she jumped. Well, she didn't go anywhere, <laughs> except to the ground, because it wasn't Jesus. I understand when the rapture occurs, a sunroof isn't going to stop you from participating. When the rapture occurs, you're not going to need to springboard off of a trampoline. When Jesus says, come up, you will come up. Now, Now notice how this event begins. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that it begins with the return of Christ. And the Bible talks about Jesus' return a lot. Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you may be there as well. Jesus told his disciples that. If you've read through the New Testament, you know there was a period, it talks about it in the book of Acts, where Jesus was meeting with his disciples and he ascended into heaven. His disciples literally watched him go up into heaven. And as they were sitting there Flabbergasted, wondering what just happened, some angels appeared and said this, This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven shall come in like manner as you have seen him go. Both the Old and the New Testament is filled with promises of the Lord's second coming. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament deals with Jesus' second coming. Mark it down. You may not be able to put it on a day in your calendar book, but Jesus is coming back. And I want you to notice something in this passage that is very important. If you read this passage, you'll notice that Jesus is coming in the air. It never says he comes to earth. It says he comes in the air, and the dead in Christ rise, and Those who are alive and remain will meet him up in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. Now, I want you to remember that. Jesus doesn't come to earth. He's coming in the air. Then we're told in this passage there will be sounds. We're told there will be a loud command from God. We're told there will be the voice of, of the archangel. We're told there will be the trumpet call of God. Now, will everyone hear these sounds? I don't think so. I think people may hear noise, but I don't think they'll hear the voice of God calling them, come up. I don't think everyone will hear that. I think only believers will hear that. It's probably going to be something like on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? When Jesus appeared to Paul? and there was all of these sounds and and Paul saw the resurrected lord everyone else knew something was going on but they couldn't put their finger on what was going on do you remember that i believe it's going to be something like that the world is going to know something is going on and then they're going to be they're going to look around and they're going to realize people have disappeared but most people are going to be oblivious to what happened so we see the return of Christ Jesus comes in the air and then we're told there will be the resurrection of believers Paul said the dead in Christ will rise now some people have said that means the Baptist will go first now I don't know I'm not sure about that but it says the dead in Christ will rise some people ask why will the dead in Christ rise first well, well someone else said well because they're six feet under They've got to go a little ways before they catch up with us. Don't know why the dead in Christ rise first, but Jesus says, or God's Word says, the dead in Christ will rise. Now understand, the Bible doesn't say that everyone will be resurrected here. It says only the dead in Christ will be resurrected. Listen to what it says in Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. It says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. You see, the Bible says that there is more than one resurrection. And so we see, at the very least, the beginning of this first resurrection in 1 Thessalonians 4. The graves of God's people will open up everywhere. The sea will give up. It's dead. Battlefields will give up. It's dead. Those who have been cremated, their ashes will come back together and and it will give up. It's dead. People who have been eaten by wild animals, those wild animals will give up. The dead, the dead in Christ will rise. Now notice something here. It says in this passage that Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. So in other words, when Jesus comes from heaven into the air, he is going to bring with him the believers who have already passed on. Now what is he going to bring with him since their bodies are being resurrected? He's going to bring their souls. You see, the Bible teaches that when we die, we go to be with Jesus. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7, it says, The dust returns to the ground it came from. The spirit returns to the God who gave it. You see, when we die as believers, we go into the presence of God. And we stay there with the Lord until the culmination of human history comes about. And at that point, when Jesus comes, he will bring with him the souls of those who have fallen asleep, who have died. And what is asleep? Their bodies are asleep. Not their souls. Their souls are with Jesus. And at that moment, in the twinkling of an eye... The dead will be raised incorruptible and they will receive a new body that goes along with their souls and they will be with the Lord forever. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. At 54, I have aches and pains that I did not have at 24. And some people say, you haven't seen anything yet. And when people tell me that, and I, I say, and I'm not looking forward to seeing it either. I mean, let's face it, this body that we live in is decaying, isn't it? I mean, we can work out, we can eat a lot of fiber, we can drink these nasty green smoothies, we can do everything in the world, but nothing can stop our bodies from decaying. They're decaying, they're growing old, they're growing weak, and one day if the Lord tarries, they will give out, and they will be no more. But praise God, one day we're getting an incorruptible body that will never decay again. It will never grow old. I love what Paul said in in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 51. Listen to what he said. He said, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we're not going to all die. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we who are alive will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory Where O death, is your sting. So Jesus is going to come back in the air. He's going to say, come on home. And the graves of every single believer from all human history will be opened. And they will go to meet their souls and they will be with the Lord forever. So we see the return of Christ, the, the resurrection of believers. But then we see the rapture. We, we we see that, that moment that, that Jesus snatches them up. Now, there's some people that say, well, the word rapture doesn't occur in the Bible. And they're wrong. Anybody that tells you that is incorrect. It does occur in the Bible. It occurs here in verse 17. In the Greek, the word is apodzo, which means to snatch away with force. When the Bible was translated into the Latin Vulgate, the word that it used here was the word rapturo, which is the word for the Greek word arpazo. Rapturo is the word that we get our English word rapture from. We translate it here, called up. It literally means to be seized with force. There's going to come a moment... When Jesus is going to come in the air and he's going to say, come home. And the dead in Christ will rise and those who are alive will go to meet him in the air. And we will be changed immediately. Our corruptible bodies will be changed to incorruptible. Our moral bodies will be changed to immortality. We will be given these new bodies at that moment at the rapture. I heard a long time ago about a man, I may have told you this story before, but a, a farmer who had never been to the big city. He lived on the farm all of his life and he had never seen a building that was taller than three stories. And and he and his son were in a mall one day with their wife. They decided to visit the big city and and they came upon an elevator. They'd never seen an elevator. They had never been in a building taller than three stories before it, and they were amazed. They looked at this elevator and, and they saw this elderly woman go into the elevator and, and um, the door closed and, and some lights came on and it were going up and it stopped and then lights started coming back down. The doors opened and there was this beautiful young lady on there and the old farmer looked at his son and said, you stay right here. I'm going to get your mom to put her on that thing. Let me tell you, when Jesus comes back, we don't need to get on an elevator that changes us. We will receive an incorruptible body. We will receive a perfect body. And notice what it says, and we will be with the Lord forever. And all of the people who have gone before us will be there with the Lord. And it will be an incredible reunion as you and I are, are reunited with with parents, with siblings, with children who know and love Jesus who have gone on before us. And so we see the rapture. That's the rapture. The return of Christ. The, the resurrection of the saints and, and the snatching away of all who are in Christ. Now who will participate in the rapture? Well I'm not going to take long to answer this question but, but you do need to understand that the rapture is by invitation only. Not everyone participates In the rapture. You see, to be raptured, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to be a part of his family. And if you're not a part of his family, you will be left behind. Now, there's some people that mistakenly, I think unwisely, out of ignorance say, well, I don't know where they're going and and I don't want to go float on a cloud for all eternity. I'd rather be on earth anyway. And let me say to you, people who say that are saying that out of ignorance. One, they they haven't begun to understand what God has prepared for us. And we've talked about this in an entire series, but you and I aren't going to sit on clouds forever playing hearts. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to enjoy God's creation untainted by sin forever and ever and ever with new bodies where we'll be able to do things that, We've only been able to think about. It's going to be great. And let me tell you, the world that is left here, when believers are raptured, you're not going to want to be here for that. Trust me. You're not going to want to be here for that. So who is going to be raptured? Only believers are going to be raptured. Now, when does the rapture take place? Now, this is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Now, at Northside, we have a saying that we, we quote in our new members class, in our running together class. And what we say is this, in essentials, we have unity. But in non-essentials, we have liberty. In other words, there are essential beliefs where there must be agreement among Christians, but there are other beliefs that are non-essential where we can disagree, where we can have different interpretations and differing opinions. For instance... An essential of the faith is Jesus is coming back. A non-essential of the faith is when is he coming back? Does he come back at this point in history or this point in history? Now the problem with some Christians is they make non-essentials into essentials. And they begin to bicker and argue and Withdrawal fellowship from people when these things really don't matter. Now here's what you need to know. When it comes to the rapture and when the rapture will occur, there are three major views among those who believe the Bible. We're not talking about people who don't believe the Bible. We're not talking about people who don't hold the Bible in high regard. We're talking about people who say the Bible is the literal word of God without error. Among those people, there are three major views. I've got a book on my shelf that talks about the three major views of the tribulation. They are written by three seminary professors at the same evangelical seminary. And all three of them have a different view on the rapture. And so understand, if you believe you have this nailed down, and you get kind of argumentative among this you're really very immature. This is one of those things where you share, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it, but hey, if you have a different opinion, that's between you and God. That's okay. That's all right. Now, what are the three major views? The first view is the mid-tribulation rapture. The people who hold to this view believe that the rapture is going to occur during the middle of the tribulation. Hence, the mid-tribulation view. They believe that the Antichrist is going to be revealed. He will make a covenant with Israel. And at the midway point of the tribulation, he will break that covenant. And the abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, Luke, and other passages will take place when the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple of Israel as God. And he will break the covenant And at that point, the rapture will occur. There are many believers who hold to that view. And then there are other believers who hold to a post-tribulation view of the rapture. They believe that the rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation, that the church, believers, will go through the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will rapture his church, prepare his bride, and then his bride will come back with him to destroy the false prophet, the Antichrist, and and set up the world for the thousand-year reign. And then the third view is a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. And that's the view that I hold. I, I, I hold to the view that before the tribulation ever occurs, the church will be raptured. Now, here's what you need to understand. Regardless of your view... You better be prepared. Because if people that love Jesus, who are far more intelligent than I am, have various opinions on this, I could be wrong, and you could be wrong. So your faith better be firm and secure to the point that you're ready for anything. I love what someone said at one point. They said, as believers, we need to pray for a pre-tribulation rapture. Amen? But we better be prepared for a post-tribulation rapture. So when does the rapture take place? Well, there's various opinions. Now, why do I believe that the rapture takes place when it does? Well, I believe it takes place at the beginning of the tribulation for one primary reason. You see, I believe the rapture occurs to take God's people out of the world before God pours out His wrath on the world. Understand, there is a difference between tribulation that you and I face that comes from the world and the tribulation of God, which is God's wrath being poured out on a sinful world. I do not believe the Bible teaches that God pours out his wrath on his people. Now you say, why do I believe that? Well, let me give you some reasons. Revelation 6 verses 15 through 17 says this. And this is the passage that that speaks of the beginning of that period known as the tribulation. It says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountain. They called to the mountains, and the rocks fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And listen to what it says, And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Now that word wrath is the Greek word orge. It literally means anger or vengeance. And so what this is saying is there is coming a day when God is going to pour out his anger on a sinful, unrepentant world. You see, today we are living in an age of Grace. Today we are living in a day of the gospel, of the good news, where anyone and everyone can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But there's coming a day when God is going to say, I've given you every warning, I've given you every chance, now it's time to face the consequences of your rebellion. And I do not believe that the Bible teaches that God is going to pour that Anger out on his children. Throughout the New Testament, we're given an indication that we will be delivered from that wrath. I'll give you some passages. You can write these down in your notes. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says this. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They, they tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To wait for his son from heaven. Now, what are they doing? They're waiting for the return of Jesus. Isn't that what it says? To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so they're waiting on Jesus to come back. And when he comes back, he will do what? He will rescue us from that wrath, that orge of God that is coming upon the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9, Paul says this, he said, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 3 verse 10, as Jesus has given his message to the seven churches of Laodicea, and and many believe that this is a picture of the history of the world. He says in Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the world to test those who live on the earth. Jesus said there's coming a time of great trial upon the world, and I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to keep you from that hour that is to come. You see, the tribulation, the great tribulation, the wrath of the Lamb, is not for God's children. Will you and I face tribulations? Yes. Do I believe that apart from a supernatural revival of God, there is coming a time quickly in America where you and I will face tribulation as believers? I believe that's coming. I really do. All around the world, believers are facing tribulation, but there's a difference between tribulations that come from the world and the tribulation that comes from from god many will be longing for a world without um, rules without the influence of god and and when the rapture occurs they will see that world without the influence of god but i also believe we see a biblical picture of the rapture you say rocky what are you talking about well jesus in luke 17 gives us two pictures he says as it was in the days of noah so will it be when the son of man comes do you remember the story of noah God looked upon the world, and every thought, every inclination of man was wicked continuously. That's what it says. And God says, I am tired of this. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm going to judge mankind. But he saw Noah, and Noah was a righteous man. And so what did God do? God told Noah, build an ark. Put you and your family on that ark. And when my wrath comes you will be delivered, you will be spared that wrath. The judgment of God came upon a sinful world, but what did God do with the righteous? He delivered them before the judgment came. You remember the story of Lot? Remember that story, story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham met with the Lord and, and said, If you find 100 righteous, 90 righteous, 70 righteous, 50 righteous, 10 righteous, if you find one righteous, what, what will you do? I mean, and so when the angels of the Lord went into Sodom, they took Lot and said, You need to get out of here. And they waited until Lot left the city for God's destruction. To come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot wasn't a perfect man. By any means. But he was righteous. And what did God do? Before God's judgment ever came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He did what? He removed Lot. Now could I be wrong? Yes. I could be wrong. But I got to tell you something. I know that you should be praying that I'm not wrong. And I know that I'm praying that I'm not wrong. Because even though you and I may face tribulations like we've never ever thought possible in America, that's far different than being here on planet earth when God's wrath is poured out In many ways. Upon this planet. Here's what I know. Whenever the rapture occurs. It's going to occur. And when it occurs. Jesus is calling his children home. And we know. We know. We know. We know. That he's coming back for us. I heard about this father and his daughter who loved to swim together his daughter was a young girl but they loved swimming one day they were out swimming in the ocean and, and before they knew it they were being taken out by the undertow and they were out further than they anticipated and as the father was looking at how far it was and how difficult of a swim against the undercurrent the undertow he knew his daughter could never do that swim and he could never take her in. But his daughter was a good swimmer. His daughter could float and he turned to his daughter and he said, listen, you're a great swimmer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on your back and I just want you to float. And dad's going to go and he's going to get somebody to come and help us and and I'm going to come back and get you. So his daughter started floating. His dad, her dad, began to swim in. And it was a hard swim, but he made it and he got to shore and he got some help. And they went out in boats and began to look. For his daughter, and finally, someone spotted the daughter. And the first person that found the daughter saw her sitting there with a smile on her face, looking up in the sky, just floating, taking it easy. When they picked her up and brought her in the boat, the guy said, Weren't you afraid out here all by yourself in the ocean? And she said, No. My father told me he was going to come back and get me. And I believed my father. You see, when we know that our Lord is going to come back for us, He's not going to leave us in this sin-filled world forever. He's got something better for us. We can handle anything. Amen? And, and that's the key. The key is our relationship with Jesus. Now, I want you to go back to v- chapter 17 of Luke one more time as I wrap this message up. And I want you to think about this question, are you ready? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Now we see that passage in other contexts in the Gospels. But here, this passage is in the context of the second coming of Jesus. What does it mean? I mean, what is he saying here? Whoever keep, tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever gives up his life will save it. Here's what I believe. I believe what Jesus is saying there is those people who were dead set on surrendering their life, giving their life to Jesus, in the end, they may hold on to their life, think they're doing their own thing, but they're going to lose everything. But those who surrender their life to the loving care of their Lord, trusting Him to be their Savior, And to be their Lord in life, they gain everything. So what about it? Have you humbly acknowledged that you're a sinner and you need a Savior? Have you trusted Christ alone as the only one who can pay for your sins? Have you surrendered your life to Him as the Lord of your life? If you haven't. You need to do that because Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but we know he's coming back. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bowed with every eye closed. I want to ask you a simple question. Are you ready? If you're here this morning, both at this campus and at our West Campus, and you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I'm ready. I know that I have acknowledged my sinfulness before God. I have trusted Jesus alone to save me. I've given him my life. He's changed me. If you know that you're ready, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, would you just lift your hand up high right now? And if you say, I know I'm ready, I have no question. Lift it up high. Go ahead and put them down. Hands raised all over the place. That's wonderful. That's awesome. But the fact of the matter is there were a lot of hands that weren't raised. And and, and maybe they weren't raised for a variety of reasons. I'm not sure. But if you're here and and you're saying, I'm not ready, I'm not sure. Let me tell you, this is one thing you want to make sure of. And, And your certainty isn't based upon how you feel. Your certainty is based upon the word of God. Jesus said in his word, or Paul said in God's word, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call upon him, humbly asking him to forgive you and save you, he'll do it. And so if you're here and you don't have that calm assurance that you're ready, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. If you can pray it and mean it with all your heart. Dear Jesus, today, I want to make sure I'm ready. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've lived life my way rather than your way. Please forgive me. I know that my sins separate me from you. And I believe the only payment for my sin is Jesus I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead, defeating sin for me. And right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. Come into my life. Take control. From this moment on, I want to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.